Welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we hope to entertain, inspire, and inform you about all things running. I'm Brian Dalek, and I'm keeping the host seat warm for Editor-in-Chief David Willey. He's on vacation this week, but you'll still hear him in his interview with Trevor and Angie Spencer. They are the creators and co-hosts of the podcast Marathon Training Academy. They've been providing training advice on their shows for several years, but Trevor and Angie are humble about their own start, not only in podcasting, but in the world of racing. I crossed that first marathon finish line in 2008, and it literally changed my life. I mean, it was painful, but it was, you know, like a beautiful struggle kind of thing. In the kick this week, we've got some inspirational moments from our first ever Runner's World Classic in North Andover, Massachusetts, and a mom who shows that even a stroller can't slow her down. But first, we're checking back in with our executive editor, Tish Hamilton, as she continues her quest to build strength all summer long while running less. Tish has been hiking a lot lately to prep for a big trip coming up, and she's often wearing a loaded backpack in everyday situations. I said, okay, well, I'm going to just, like, wear my backpack around town and, and practice, you know, hiking wherever I go. Stay with us. After battling a long stretch of illness and injury, Tish Hamilton, who's done 51 marathons in her life, had a crappy Boston Marathon back in April. So Tish decided to do something most dedicated runners talk about but rarely do, and that's back off. She's spending the summer focusing on things other than running, like hiking. Producer Christine Fennessy recently met up with Tish for a walk in our local trails to see how this runner redefines her concept of a tough workout. Tish is a die-hard distance runner. But when I talked to her earlier this summer, she decided that she really needed to back off of her running. I've been doing a lot of marathons lately the past few years. I've been training really hard. I've been running hard and never really taking a break. I know I've got New York City on the calendar in November, but I really need to have a mental and physical break from hard training. During this break, she was determined to branch out and do other things, like cycling. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to really learn how to be a better cyclist and, and uh, build up some strength that way and give my body and, uh, my body and my brain a break from the just, you know, train, train, train. She also wanted to hike more. That's because she's got a 50-mile hike coming up at the end of this month in the High Sierras in California. It's not a marathon, but a trek like that is no joke. So Tish is spending part of her downtime from running, getting better at walking. Specifically, hiking while carrying a fairly heavy backpack. I met Tish early on a Wednesday morning at the South Mountain Preserve. The trailhead is about two miles from our offices at Runner's World in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. It's popular with hikers, mountain bikers, and its giant rocks attract the bouldering crowd. The plan was to follow Tish on a training hike along one of the mountain's trails. The pack has been living in the trunk of my car for just this sort of opportunity. Ever the diligent marathon runner who wouldn't dream of running 26.2 miles in a new pair of shoes, Tish is determined to properly break her gear in. Trying to put on my hiking boots. But finding a pack that fits her hasn't been easy. She's pretty small, about five foot four, 
with the lithe build of the ballet dancer she once was. So she's had to scale things down a bit. So I ended up with a kid's backpack, actually. Um, as it happens, my, uh, my daughter, who started backpacking, and I, we both had the exact same backpack. <laughs> so I had to put um, some, kind of, some kind of ID on mine. Of course, because I'm a runner, I put on a, a 26.2 sticker. <laughs> you can try to take the runner out of the running shoes, but <laughs> you can't take the running out of, runner, out of a runner. <laughs> South Mountain is a gorgeous place. But summer does turn it into a bit of a natural minefield. There's poison ivy, mosquitoes, and worst of all, Lyme disease-carrying deer ticks. Tish is wearing tall socks to protect her legs from the vile creatures, but she smartly adds a gross but vital layer of deep-containing off. Blah. All right. We're good. Ticks aren't Tish's only worry. Like most runners, she's a minimalist. But now she's got to get used to carrying a load around on her back. I have been trying to get out uh, and, and do some hiking with this backpack because I'm kind of worried about being able to um, backpack for six or seven days <laughs> with a pack that weighs, you know, 25 pounds. Um, it does feel kind of silly sometimes <laughs> to load up on this big backpack and, like, go for, like, a two-mile walk in the woods and you pass people who are just out on a stroll and, like, ah, hi. <laughs> Silly or not, Tish straps on her pack, which is full of stuff like a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, water, some other things, and, and secures it tight. Ready to go for a hike? All right, I'm ready. We set off down the trail, which starts out pretty nice and flat. I'm actually looking at this trail and I'm thinking, this looks like really runnable trail. <laughs> it's a little hard to resist that temptation to throw off the pack and go for a run. Tish records the time and distance of all of her hikes, and she logs them just like she would log any other workout. Because it is a workout. Or at least that's what she's working on making herself believe. All joking aside, this obviously is exercise, right? And, uh, you know, I'm carrying more, and it's uh, working the muscles in my legs. And this does a different kind of good, and, and I think that's good for me. Pretty soon, we reach a narrow bridge over a creek. Now, I've been over this bridge hundreds of times, ripping over it on my mountain bike. But walking behind Tish, I realize something. A unique perk about hiking. And Tish, she realizes it too. I've actually never stood on this bridge and even realized like, how pretty it is. You know, obviously, if when I'm quote-unquote running on a path like this, you're not actually like slowing down enough to, to think about noticing them, and that is a really nice thing about backpacking. The trail gradually gets steeper and rockier and brings us to another stream crossing. It's maybe four feet wide, and the water is the depth of a puddle. There are plenty of rocks to step on to get across, but Tish is not pleased. Stream crossings of any kind freak her out. Maybe it's the weight of her pack, or being deaf in her right ear, or both. Whatever it is, her balance is no good in situations like this. So she demands that I go first and not watch her cross. But before I can make a move, a runner comes jogging up the trail behind us. Oh, good morning. Good morning, runner. There goes a runner. Oh, see, he le leapt right across that thing. Um, I'm a runner too, really. <laughs> I wore my I Love Running t-shirt just so people wouldn't have to check my passport. 
What did you feel when the, when he ran by? Was there an urge to sort of just ditch the pack? Hey, Christine, here you can take this. I'm going to go with that guy. <laughs> Either that or com- or take an invisible pill and completely disappear so he can't see me here standing here with this giant backpack on. <laughs> After we crossed the stream, and no, I did not watch Tish cross, the trail turns into a series of switchbacks. This is a little steeper, and it's definitely working my muscles more. Um... This is the workout portion (laughs) of the backpack. About halfway through our hike, we stop near a pile of boulders the size of trucks. We're going to stop right up here. We talk for a while, and it turns out Tish has realized there's a lot of overlap between running and hiking. For example, you have to drink early and often, fuel regularly with stuff that you know sits well, and you can't go out too fast. We also talked about how Tish's first instinct is to treat hiking like marathon training. You know, with target distances and times and runner stuff like that. Which puts her at odds with her friend and hiking buddy, Rick. He was like, um, no. <laughs> he said, you're sucking all the fun out of this. <laughs> so I, I, I think um, we're coming at this from different mentalities. So, you know, I'm a long-time endurance um, junkie. And sometimes even the race itself, the marathon at the end of the training plan, is not the reward. It's like all the weeks of building up training. I really love that. He likes being in the woods and seeing the wildlife and the beautiful landscapes. And um, turning it into a workout for him uh, didn't sound fun. Um, You know, I'm I'm tuning into the natural beauty while I'm disguising it as a workout. Don't tell him. I mean, is, is there fun in there being physical activity without necessarily that calorie-torching quality to it? I'm sorry, I don't understand that question. Could you repeat it, please? <laughs> sure. She'd prefer moving faster. But Tish has discovered that there's an added bonus to taking things a bit slower. Now, you're not getting quite the same endorphin rush as, as you know, charging through a run. Um, and I think you have to be more um, open to it. Uh, and open to accepting um, a quieter kind of calming um, energy, which is also really super valuable. Tish's runner mentality will likely make her hike more successful because she is nothing if not devoted to the cause of getting in hiker shape for this upcoming trip, even if it means looking a bit ridiculous. I said, okay, well, I'm going to just like wear my backpack around town and, and practice, you know, hiking wherever I go. <laughs> So, this one afternoon, I was working from home, and it was lunch hour, and I said, you know, I needed some groceries. I said, well, I'm going to put on my backpack and my hiking boots and uh, walk over to the grocery store. I probably still have on the T-shirt I slept in with a jacket over it. And, and I'm, I'm just not really, you know, thinking about maybe running into people. And I get to the grocery store, and out of the corner of my eye, I see another mom who used to work in the fashion industry um, in New York City. So oh she's like, and out of the corner of my eye, I see her, and I'm like, please don't let her see me. Please don't let her see me. <laughs> and what do we do? Come around the cantaloupes and the red peppers and run smacking it into each other. <laughs> and she says, hi, Tish. What are you doing? And I said, Oh, mm. and she gave me this really odd look, and she said, um, and, and I said, oh, oh, you, oh, you mean the backpack? I said, oh, well, I'm going on a hike, so I'm practicing, and I'm going to carry my groceries home in my backpack. <laughs> and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, 
That's okay. I sometimes do weird things too. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Which made me like shrink to about two inches tall. Yes, there might be some social fallout to being a bit overzealous in your preparation. But whatever. Tish isn't going to lace up her shoes on day one of her six-day hike and wonder if she's got what it takes. But what she doesn't have with this new pursuit is her social outlet. She had told me when we talked in earlier episodes how nothing beats running when it comes to catching up with friends. What's it like socializing on a hike compared to on a run? (laughs) Well, I would say the intimacy of chatting with someone on a run um, has, so far, I haven't found any um, match for that. Uh, And, you know, when you're side by side with somebody running and your footsteps are in sync, you're you're talking to each other, like, right there, right? So you've got the combination of, you know, you're high on endorphins and and having an intimate conversation. That's pretty great. I I haven't found that as much on hiking. And part of it is just because, because I don't hear very well. Um, and we tend to hike single file, I can only hear someone talking to me if they're right behind me and talking in my ear. It's a quieter activity for sure. As we head back down the mountain, she reveals she's a true weight weenie, dead set on carrying as little as possible for her hike in the high Sierras. She's leaving the obvious stuff behind, stuff like books and tech and, oh my God, wine although she is on a mission to find a super light flask. But Tish is also leaving behind things you might think would make life a little bit more bearable, like an extra clean T-shirt, maybe some anti-chafing stuff. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no deodorant either, and we won't get into all the other no. But I will, Whoa! I will have um, toothbrush and toothpaste. That I'm going to have. Are you going to saw off the end of your toothbrush? I know. I thought about that, but um, my friend Rick would make fun of me. I don't understand. It's a genius idea. Until you bite your finger. <laughs> we climb a last little rise, turn left, and follow the trail out to the parking area. So, we're coming out of the woods. And just like that, Tish flips back into runner mode. She goes straight for her Garmin. So, um, so let's start my watch. This is what I really wanted to know. My maximum heart rate was 127, average heart rate 83. Hmm. That's a pretty easy workout. I'll have to go. I'll have to go run at lunch, I guess. <laughs> well, this is a great opportunity to ask about how your run less this summer project is going. Um, I, I actually have been running a lot less. I've, so um, you know, I'm, and it's it's definitely been a process, and I'm, I'm finding myself more comfortable with it now. So before before when I was doing 40 miles a week, I'd say six mile run is like a basic easy run, right? And now it's like, well, six miles—that's a really long way. That's my long run. <laughs> I'm in my what like what fourth or fifth week of doing it, and I'm definitely much more mellow about it than than I was uh, in the first couple of weeks. Were really 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 hard. I just wanted to run every single day the past I would have been like okay yes we can go on a hike but first I must get in my hour run and now I could just go for a hike and call it a day I know that seems crazy but that's that's what it is and that is progress Tish may not love cycling or hiking but she's come to like doing these other things enough so that when she does those other things it is enough she doesn't feel compelled to sandwich rides or hikes with runs and as a result she's getting fitter and stronger which means she's going to be a healthier and ultimately happier runner. That said, 
she's plenty happy to put the pack down. That's the sound of dropping backpack. Yay! <laughs> Goodbye, Pat. See you next time. Back to work. Thanks, Tish. Thank you. This was really fun. It was fun. It was super fun. <laughs> Since we recorded this segment, Tish has done a two-night practice hike on the Appalachian Trail with her 11-year-old daughter, Nina, and her friend, Rick. And just so you know, Tish's pack weighed 25 pounds, Nina carried 15 pounds. You can hear more about Tish's project Build Strength in Episode 7 and Episode 11 of the Runner's World Show, and you can find those easily at runnersworld.com audio. Trevor and Angie Spencer are really fitness podcast trailblazers. The husband and wife duo launched their show Marathon Training Academy back in 2010, really on a lark. And now, six years later, they are still inspiring and empowering runners to lead healthier lives. On their podcast, they feature interviews with notable runners and experts in the sport. They'll give detailed race recaps and offer training tips and motivation. And that's big right now, as training for fall marathons is well underway for many of us. Angie certainly has experience to share. She's a registered nurse and a USATF and RRCA certified running coach. To date, she's run 46 marathons and ultras combined and has a 26.2 PR of 3 hours and 35 minutes. Trevor, on the other hand, wasn't much of a runner when they first launched the show. Since then, he's crossed 11 marathon finish lines as what he would call a solid middle of the packer. Editor-in-chief David Willey caught up with Angie and Trevor about their podcast and the surprising impact it's had on their listeners. And we got their best tips for staying physically and mentally sharp for the long haul in a marathon buildup. So we here at, the, at, at Runner's World are, are relative newbies on the podcasting block here. We've, we've been uh, doing our show you know, since April, so all of, all of a few months. However, you guys are some of the pioneers in the podcasting space, especially in running. You've been doing the Marathon Trading Academy show since 2010. What, what inspired you to get started you know, six years ago before podcasting was you know, as big a thing as it is now? You know, I, I started listening to podcasts and had the idea of doing one, but I was thinking, well, what would be a good topic? What would uh, people find value in that we could offer? And at that time, I was not much of a runner. I didn't like running that much. It was kind of what you did uh, for punishment, you know, like like many people have talked about before uh, for other sports. But Angie, she had run a couple marathons, and she has a background in nursing. So I knew that uh, if we started a show and just talked about podcasting and health, that uh, people would find a lot of value in what Angie has to say. So I went to her with the idea. This is in maybe late 2009. And she says, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, she's she's uh, Angie's very modest and uh, we're both kind of private people. So it took a lot of uh, stepping outside of our comf- uh, comfort zone to just put our first episode out there. We had no idea of, you know, if anybody would listen uh, or what our reach would be, but there was a real need for it. And almost immediately we started getting just terrific download numbers and 
people were very enthusiastic about the show and were connecting with us and sending us messages and and we just have a wonderful audience and it's been a great journey and this now we've done 182 episodes at the time of uh, this interview i'm wondering um how your feelings about running angie maybe have changed since you started doing the show i guess i started running when i was a teenager because i thought i was overweight you know like most teenage girls and it really became about more than that and i really realized that Running helped me both physically, mentally, emotionally. I kind of kept it up as I went into college, but really never ran too much of a distance, um, you know, maybe three to five miles at a time. And then towards the end of my college years, for some reason, I just decided I was going to try to build up longer and I ran 10 miles. And I thought, 10 miles, that is like the most amazing distance ever. I was just totally proud of myself. And it really wasn't until after I had my second child that. I realized there was the whole world of marathons and ultra marathons out there. And we had just moved across the country at that point. And I was just kind of in a slump as far as, you know, what the next thing for me was. I didn't really have any friends and I was kind of feeling depressed. And on a whim, I ran a 5K race and I was really hooked. That was my first race I'd ever done. I was, I think, 27 years old at that time. And at that point, I knew that I had to do something bigger. And so I set the goal of running a marathon. And I didn't know anyone who had ever run a marathon before. I didn't have any friends who were runners. And I made a lot of mistakes as I trained for that first marathon. I didn't cross train like I should have. I didn't listen to my body very well. And so I struggled off and on with some IT issues. But I crossed that first marathon finish line in 2008. And it literally changed my life. I mean, it was painful, but it was, you know, like a beautiful struggle kind of thing. The beautiful struggle. I love that. What a great phrase. So Trevor, did you have a similar light bulb moment? I don't think anybody would call my uh, journey a beautiful struggle. (laughs) (laughs) I was referring more to the marathon, not necessarily to me, but. (laughs) It's, it's been a process of learning to love what I used to hate. I mean, I failed Ninth grade, this is not a joke. I failed ninth grade in California um, public school because I refused to run the mile. That's how pathetic I was. Wow. For me, I think running my first race, it was a a 12K, which is a distance you don't see very often. And it was actually in Port Townsend, Washington, where my parents are from, called the Roadie Run. That was my first race, and I thought I was going to die, but Angie... Uh, was there running with me. I think she ran backwards the whole way, just coaxing me. (laughs) but I was pregnant. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. She was pregnant. (laughs) So I didn't have any excuses from there. um, The marathon was slowly pulling me into its orbit, and I ran my first marathon in, I think, 2011. I finished in about four hours and 32 minutes, I think, and Angie ran it with me. So it was was helpful to have her there, and my, my mantra was, don't let your wife think you're a wimp. And that, that got me through. <laughs> he also said he considered locking himself in a porta pot so I, I couldn't, you know, yell yeah. at him anymore. <laughs> well, she, she wouldn't let me sit down. <laughs> she was my pacer, and I just wanted to sit down so bad, especially after mile 20. I'm curious how you think the sport has evolved and changed since you became runners and since you started doing your show and talking to runners so often. I think um, just listening to people, I think there's really become more of an emphasis on doing races and using races as not necessarily just a competitive thing, but also a social 
thing. Also the ultra world, I think I can, you know, continues to get bigger. And that's a really exciting scene that a lot of people, you know, they, they build their way up from the half marathon to the marathon. And then, you know, what's the next challenge? And it's taking on trails and ultra marathons. I haven't been in the sport as long as, as you guys have. So my perspective is a lot more limited, but I, I could say one thing when we started podcasting and, and we were started telling people in our in our life about what we were doing. Number one, they didn't know what a podcast was, most people. Right. And and number two, uh, we, we met so many that didn't know how long a marathon was and didn't know anything about it. And I'm finding that more rare now, um, six years later. More people do know uh, about a marathon and the distance and, and about podcasting. So life is good. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, when when you when you help people go through an experience like training for a marathon, especially if it's their first one, you you create a real relationship. I wonder, are there a, a couple of examples of the the most um, inspiring success stories that that you guys remember that stand out looking back? Well, I can think of one um, lady in particular. I actually met her at the A to A Marathon in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And she came up to me before the race and she says, um, you know, I listen to your podcast and I really find it inspiring. And then later I found out that she has dealt with early onset Parkinson's disease. Her name is Rhonda Folds. And she's just had this incredibly inspiring story of going from basically being in a wheelchair to teaching herself how to walk again and run marathons and just overcome so much. We've basically become friends online and she's listened to the podcast. We've interviewed her on the show before. And it's people like that that really keep me inspired. People who have real challenges in their life and they just have this incredibly positive attitude. Yeah. I didn't know that you used to be a minister, Trevor. That's that's really interesting. And, and I'm curious, um, do you ever... Feel parallels between what you're doing now and and your your ministry work. I definitely do. I think running is a spiritual thing, a, a very spiritual experience for many people. It's it's very meditative. Um, you're you're doing introspection when you're out running. You are finding new layers to your own self. Uh, when you're when you're having to dig deep to overcome a long run or a marathon, you're going to find things in yourself that you didn't know were there. And you, you, I think everyone would be surprised that you're tougher than you think you are. You can run further than you think you can. And I think that um, when it comes to just elevating someone's life and, and well-being, spiritual well-being, mental well-being, running is one of the best things I've found for people. Yeah, I I completely agree. Changing gears a little bit then to the marathon, maybe maybe I'll just ask each of you for maybe your your two or three um, best tips or pieces of advice that you think have helped marathoners the most over the years. I'm definitely very big into injury prevention. Often, you know, we get this goal of maybe running a marathon, and it's so exciting, and you just want to do it right away, kind of thing, and it's very important to you know, take a few steps back and really evaluate your current fitness and make sure that you have that solid running base so that you don't get injured and you have a better marathon experience. So I always you know, 
really encourage people to put those solid building blocks of your fitness in place first before you decide to train for a marathon. You know, someone who's training for their first marathon, it may um, involve running fewer days per week, you know, like running every other day to just um, allow for some low impact cross training on those other days. Things like building up your core and, you know, strength training, maybe it's doing yoga, cycling, swimming. I think um, doing that cross training is so important to just having a well-rounded, strong body so that um, you don't get those injuries and um, you really, you know, just feel healthy and strong as you train for your marathon. We see this mistake all the time, David, is new runners who are going to do their their first marathon and they want to qualify for Boston or they want to like run uh, a sub four hour marathon or at all 430 but they've never gone the the full distance and we just tell them hey focus on finishing injury free let's not worry so much about time right now just finish strong we don't want you to be one and done and, and blow up while you're doing this qualifying for Boston will come later how how do you guys get through those inevitable tough moments uh, during runs or races for me I I've run 11 marathons and Every time that I could think of, I've, I've told myself, okay, this will be the last marathon you have to run. Just finish this one, and you'll never have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just lying to yourself. But yeah, sometimes you just got to lie to yourself, I think, to get get across the finish line. And then after, after it's over, of course, these feelings of euphoria kick in, and everything's great. And you're a little sore, but then you start thinking about, uh, the race and if you could have done it better and then signing up for another one. But yeah, I've, I've, I think I've told myself that every time. Yeah, that sounds familiar. How about you, Angie? In, in, any, any mantras specifically or any other mental tricks that you use? Usually I try to keep it something really positive because I really believe that the body follows what the mind tells it. Mm-hmm. So I really try to keep any negative thinking out of my head. You know, if, if something hurts, I'll acknowledge it and then move on like okay you know my my leg is is hurting but you know we have a race to run here and so I really try to focus my mind outside of myself and I really try to take in every aspect of the race and I just try to stay incredibly grateful for the gift of running for the ability to do races and to travel and to have a strong healthy body and so that's usually what keeps me going you know, when the going gets tough, I guess. Yeah. What a great perspective. Okay. Last question. I, I, I assume that because you guys are podcasters that you actually usually run with earbuds in your ears and that you're listening to something. Is that true? Well, I do. Angie um, doesn't need to, I guess. She has the music in her own, her own head to keep her entertained. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to myself basically. <laughs> Trevor, what do you listen to? Well... I love podcasts, of course, and I, I do listen to a lot of business podcasts. I love history, too, so I've, I'll pick up a couple of those. And of course, from my ministry days, I listen to some theolo- theology podcasts. And then there's um, some running podcasts, of course, I listen to. But when it comes to music, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a heavy metal guy. And Angie doesn't let me play my music inside the house, so I have to go on runs to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you make me sound so dictatorial. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just not like a heavy metal fan. Like with three young boys making all that noise and then having like heavy metal music playing, <laughs> just like sends me over the top. <laughs> she, 
She has no appreciation for the finer things in life. I guess David. not. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been a runner who's listened to anything while I've run. When it comes down to it, running really is my like sanity time. It's my escape. And it's the time where I can be totally alone with my thoughts if I want. You know, I can I can think. I can work through problems in my head. I can um, pray. And so, you know, with, with young kids, I just kind of crave that solitude and that quiet. So I guess running is, that's what that is for me. Back in May, David swapped roles with Trevor and Angie as they interviewed him on their podcast, Marathon Training Academy. Make sure to check it out at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. And now it's time for the kick. Here's news editor Sarah Lorge Butler and reporter Kit Fox. Well, Sarah, I heard that we've rolled into a new world record this weekend. Can you tell us some more details about that? That's right. This weekend in Chicago, Kit, Julia Webb, who is the wife of Alan Webb, the famous American miler who still holds the American record for the mile, by the way, she set a new world record for half marathon while pushing a stroller. So, Sarah, how fast was this baby moving? The baby, her name is Paula, and she's nine months old, and she and her mom finished this half marathon in one hour, 22 minutes, and 57 seconds. Oh, boy. Yeah, that works out to just under six minutes and 20 seconds per mile pace. Pretty impressive. Wow. So that is really fast. I got to know, how did the baby take it? I saw pictures of the baby after the race, and she was smiling and happy looking. My guess is that she's known nothing else in her nine months of life except for the feel of you know, wind in her face, moving at high speeds while she's being pushed in this jogger. But I got to say, keeping a baby happy in a baby jogger for one hour and 22 minutes, that's pretty impressive. My kids could never last more than 20 minutes in a stroller before they got restless. So that sounds like the real record here. At least in my opinion. Now, I hear that you're keeping an eye on a different kind of record. Yeah, exactly. Almost one year after Scott Jurek broke the record for the fastest through hike of the Appalachian Trail, we have another ultramarathoner trying to beat it. Carl Meltzer, who's 48, is going to be starting right around August 5th. He doesn't have a specific date, but he's going to be starting from Mount Katahdin in Maine, traveling just over 2,100 miles down to Springer Mountain in Georgia. Right now, the record stands at 46 days, 8 hours, and 7 minutes. Huh. So he's going the opposite direction that Jurek went, right? Jurek went north and ended at Mount Katahdin in Maine. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a bit different because uh, Carl's starting where Scott finished. And he's doing this because really he says that the hardest part of the Appalachian Trail is that section through Maine. So Carl wants to get that done right up front, get it out of the way um, starting in the next you know, two weeks or so. Interesting strategy. From what you told me, it sounds like he's almost obsessive about the Appalachian Trail and going after this record. Yeah, it's it's funny to see the opposing strategies. Scott Jurek came onto the trail going for this record, having only put about like 30 miles on this 2,000-mile trail before doing it. Carl's completely opposite. He's already done the trail before. He's actually attempted the record twice and failed, once in 2008, once in 2014. Um, he's 
driven the whole trail. He knows exactly where his crew has to stop and pick him up. He says, in fact, that if you put a blindfold on him and drop him at any trailhead along the trail, he can tell you exactly where he's at. Wow. And will people be able to keep up with his progress? Yeah, he'll be posting um, his location on his own website, and we will also be following along and updating readers where he's at as well. Good. I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. Okay, so to wrap things up, I know that there was just this incredible emotional moment this past weekend at the Runner's World Classic in North Andover, Massachusetts. Can you kind of describe what happened? On Saturday, there was a celebrity mile before the half marathon on Sunday, and some of the celebrities were survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing, including Jeff Bauman, who lost both of his legs in the blast, and he was doing his first race since the Boston bombings in 2013 in this Celebrity Mile. Oh, wow. So, and Jeff was actually in that iconic image after the bombings in 2013 that appeared where he was being pushed in a wheelchair by a Good Samaritan. Yes, this was um, the image of him. He's like you say, he's in a wheelchair. He's lost both of his legs. And Carlos Arondondo is wearing the big white cowboy hat that a lot of people might remember from the picture and pushing Jeff out to an ambulance. This became one of the sort of lasting images of the Boston Marathon bombings. This time, Carlos was there at the Celebrity Mile for the Runner's World Classic. He had just undergone leg surgery. So Jeff, in his first race ever, pushed Carlos across the finish line in an amazing role reversal. Okay, wow. So I know that this is kind of incredibly emotional. And I know also that there were other survivors that were there that got to see this. Yeah, Adrian Hazlitt Davis was one of them. She memorably completed her first Boston Marathon this year. She lost a limb in the bombings. And what was really amazing was that the other people who were, had already completed the Celebrity Mile sort of doubled back to help Jeff across the finish line. So he finished with a crowd of about 50 people surrounding him and helping him get across the finish line. By all accounts, it was just a remarkable moment. And I know that David Willey spoke with both Jeff and Adrian after the race. Here's what they had to say. So how did it feel out there? It felt amazing to have everyone, like I said, after the halfway part, uh, half mile mark, um, everyone was walking behind me. And that really made me try to keep my pace up. I was at, uh, I think, a 13 minute mile, which is not bad for a guy with no legs. So. <laughs> a lot of people have come up uh, and said, you know, congratulations, and I'm going to try and run uh, a marathon because of you. And that happened today. And I, I think if you can be even a small little peg in the stepladder of whatever their goal is, whether that's um, running a marathon or a mile, then that's a pretty awesome feeling. Wow. Those are uh, two amazing stories right there. And uh, Jeff and Adrian, we just want to say congrats from all of us at Runner's World. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining me this week on The Kick. Thank you, Kit. That's it for this week's show. It's been fun steering the ship for this episode, and David will be back next week. And if you want to actually see Jeff Bowen finishing our Celebrity Mile at the Runner's World Classic, you can go to our episode page where there's video of that at runnersworld.com slash audio. It would mean a lot if you took a second to leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a big difference, and we really do read and care about all of your comments. 
This show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Mervyn Deganos, Christine Fennessy, and me, Brian Dalek. David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. The Runner's World show is also a proud part of the Panoply Network. Next week, we'll go for a run with a group who uses running to help veterans transition to civilian life. Whenever they hit the road, horns start honking. It's important to me to be able to say thank you, to be able to raise the flag as I just did when that horn blew. I love this country. I love the people that make up this country. And I really believe that we can make a difference as a civilian to those veterans that sometimes, unfortunately, feel like they're left behind. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for joining us. 